We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's bring Ryan Roberts in here, fellas. And Sean, I know you got a lot going off. You need to run. You can. Otherwise, you're obviously always more than welcome to stay with us and uh, answer some questions. I can stay for a few minutes. Yeah, I got a few minutes. So let's get to some questions here, fellas. And and Ryan, some of this will be from practice and some of this will be uh, from other questions. We have some recruiting questions here, too. Sean Higgins says, most encouraging piece of intel on inside the ball that was dropped in the IB premium board for only $4.99. So I appreciate that, Sean, very, very much. You can see some of that intel. He says, uh, Sean asked, what's the IB line for the OSU game? What has to go wrong for OSU to cover 15 and a half? So obviously the spread right now, I believe is 15 and a half points. And uh, my question for you guys would be is if you were setting a spread, what would you set the spread on uh, for this game? Sean, we'll start with you. Comfortably. And let me think as if I was Vegas because I would want to lure Notre Dame fans in. I would probably set it at about nine and a half. Yeah. I mean, 15 and a half does a pretty good job of luring Notre Dame fans. And I'll say that for yeah, sure. But it's almost <laughs> ridiculous. Like you really wonder like, Hmm. It's, I, it's not, it's not almost ridiculous, Sean. It's, it, it's it ridiculous. is ridiculous. You're, you're right, Ryan. I look. Yeah. I guess that's why I'm not out in Vegas, you know, cause honestly, I mean, just being fair, if I looked at this game and just without seeing Notre Dame and only having to base it on what I saw in the Fiesta Bowl with the secondary and the defense, I would say, you know what? I think it'll be a good game, but I think eventually Ohio State will be too much. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I would set it at, okay, a touchdown and an extra three points. For being at home, that puts me at nine, and you know, let me throw in the half just as a kicker. Nine and a half. That's that's where mm-hmm. I would set it. So this fifteen and a half, I have no clue. Yeah, I think the nine and a half comes a lot from. I mean, again, it's the enticement. You want to make sure that you're getting Ohio Notre Dame people to to buy in, but it's also this is what we talk about because like you know, everybody's like, oh, they're going to win all their games. Well, I guarantee you the reports coming out of Columbus there, like they looked really good today in first day of practice. I mean, when you're a really talented team, you're 
going to look good on day one, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. So there's always that context. But I think that's still the thing that Notre Dame has to prove. And, and if we're being honest and looking at this from an outsider's point of view, I think 15 and a half is absurd. Mm-hmm. I'd, nine and a half, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. I mean, I'd still take Notre Dame, and yeah. me personally. I'd still take Notre Dame because I, I I think if they lose by more than a touchdown, it's going to be they're up, they're down four, and they're driving, and they you know they have to go for it, and they turn it over, and Ohio State goes down there, puts it away, or there's a fumble. I mean, it'll be something like that where it was a much more a much more competitive game than the final score showed. But I I, I mean I get it. Like yes, Brian Kelly's not here anymore, and Marcus Marcus Freeman's the new coach. But we don't know what that means in in, in, in relation to. Are they still going to show up for those big games? I think we think certain things. We don't know it, you know, if we're, if we're being honest and objective. But even even if Brian Kelly was still the head coach and you have all your 15 and a half, based on what? Ohio State played three good teams last year. They lost, well, uh, yeah, three good teams last year, right? I guess you can count Michigan State, okay, who okay. constantly gets destroyed by Ohio State, like regularly gets destroyed by Ohio State. They lost to two of them. And one by the other one by three in a game, they gave up 45 points and then they beat Michigan state. Right. I mean, so, you know, they got stuff to prove too. So I, I just find that 15 and a half to be, but I think Vegas has been relatively down on Notre Dame recently. Like remember, like last year it was like seven and a half was like the spread or something last year for their win total. I was like, like eight, what are you talking about? It was absurd. It was eight and a half, right. Yeah. I think it's eight and a half this year. Okay. Yeah. It was less than that last year. Cause I'm like, I mean, I'm like, take, take the over like what are you what are you guys talking about you know it was absurd it was absurd to me i i I would say if i was setting it it, i would be about the the touchdown favorite so i would probably go minus seven and a half or like somewhere in that ballpark i think that's fair because again notre dame first year coaching staff let's see what it looks like first game jitters all that stuff and then Oh, I say it is at home under the lights, right? So, like, that's going to be a little bit of a buffer. So, I'd probably say nine to seven and a half, but either way, minus 15 and a half is just disrespectful. I mean, it yeah. really is, man. It is. I, I, I've talked to so many Ohio State fans about that, too. They're like, what? Like, they're even surprised. They're like, why is it minus 15 and a half? I'm like, I don't know, man. I can't tell you. Like, I, I, I understand why, because Notre Dame has had some lopsided losses against some good teams in recent years. Like, that's why, but. I just I I feel like holding them to the downfall of a previous staff is a little nearsighted. It's just my opinion, though. Right. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. We have a Super Chat recruiting question, Ryan. I'll kick it to you first and then to you, Sean. Pasquale asks, been meaning to ask this last few weeks, but haven't caught the live show. How does Dylan Edwards compare to Zabion Bradshaw last year? Happy to see the staff going after slot type now to balance the receiving core. So, Ryan, kick it to you. Did you get a chance to watch Zabion Bradshaw last I, year? I was I was going to say you might need to kind of yeah, give the you little breakdown covering of him the, as a player. Yeah. Because he's at he he ended up at Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. I was I very was high on Xavier Bradshaw. I was about to say that was your boy. That's that my was your dude. boy. That was my dude. Yeah. I will say this: as much as I love Xavier Bradshaw and he should be on the team, uh, I I love his speed and athleticism. Dylan Edwards is a significantly more explosive player. Different gear. I, yeah. I mean, just I mean, and that's true of just about anyone. I mean, th- th- what what Xavier brought to the table, however, Xavier was a pure receiver. Like, like he was a wide receiver. He knew how to run routes. He knew how to get open. He knew how to do all those type of things. He was a little taller than Dylan. Dylan is a little thicker, even though he is only 155. He's built like a running back in, in a lot of ways. But Dylan's one of the most explosive players in the country. I mean, it's just flat out. I, I think the difference is, is you know Zabion can play wide receiver and return sure. kicks. With Dylan, he's going to have to learn how to play wide receiver. So, you know, but with that speed, you can kind of overcome the fact that the kid doesn't know how to play receiver yet. It's just like, okay, this is why you get paid a lot of money. Okay. This is why you're a seven figure offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. It's to figure out how to use that. If you can't use that speed, then you don't know what you're doing. But yeah. I think the thing is, is Tom Maurice is going to know how to use that speed. But I think they're, they're, they're definitely different players because again, one guy's a sort of an all purpose back that will have to learn. The other guy was a more natural receiver. Sean, you remember Xavier Bradshaw from last oh, year. How I would you compare the two? Yeah, you used to talk about him all the time, right? right? And you wanted him. You wanted them pushing for him. My thing, they should yeah. have both. That's the thing more, at first. They should have both. Yeah, more than you they know? pushed for a Morion Walker. That was yes. Like, why are they pushing for a Morion Walker? Like A, he Walker. doesn't want to come to Notre Dame. B, right. he's an overrated player, right? Yeah. <laughs> that that was your whole mantra. That you you beat your chest about that for about a good two, three months. And of course, it played out with a Morion mm-hmm. Walker decommitting yeah. and going the to least Michigan. shocking flip in the history of football. <laughs> you were right. <laughs> Look guys, uh, my, my, uh, my eyes only rested on his film recently. I, I didn't even realize, I didn't know what I was looking at. I, I couldn't even describe it. Like I'm watching and it's not, you see a lot of guys with speed. I'll give you a perfect example. A guy like Armando Allen, who was mm-hmm. fast. But this guy's ability to stop on a dime and jump cut and then accelerate again, he's just special. Like, he's absolutely special. And, like, when you watch his film, you see guys converging, and you're like, there's no way. It's mm-hmm. almost like, I don't know if you guys did this. We're knuckleheads in my neighborhood. You know, we live by the railroad tracks, and we were here to train. And, you know, we were kind of, you know, we were stupid. We were run to make sure we beat the train, right? We shouldn't have done it, but we did. And that's, you know, <laughs> you see guys coming at him, it's almost like the hole is getting smaller and smaller, and you're saying there's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way. There's no – he got through it. Mm-hmm. And he's just gone. And then his speed doesn't like – you know how guys get tired? Mm-hmm. And you see guys catching up on the back end? Like he just – the distance gets further and further. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what did he run like? He's like clocked at a four three five. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're talking about Dylan Edwards, right? It was four. I think I think uh, I was told it was like four, three, seven. But here's the thing: that's electronic. Yeah. Like electronic times tend to be slower than the the uh, handheld times. Correct. So yeah, that's that's explosive, explosive. Yeah. That's crazy. Brian, can I ask a question? So I, I I think that. One thing that people, I think, in my opinion, it's going to be a little misnomer about Dylan Edwards is that some people are going to think he's kind of a high ceiling, low floor type of player. But I actually think the floor is kind of high because I think yeah. that he can do at least a lot of the gadget stuff at very worst, even if he's not a mm-hmm. complete wide receiver down right. the line. Does, did Bradshaw bring that same stuff from the gadget? Yeah, I think so. Now, again, okay. it was different type. It mm-hmm. would have been more of the receiver stuff. But like, you know what it, What Bradshaw could do, in my opinion, was a lot of the stuff that Braden Lindsay did in 2019 reverses jet sweeps tunnel screens stuff like that yeah he was a pretty shifty kid yeah. tremendous return man and that's the other thing too about bradshaw and edwards where they're similar is if dylan edwards never plays a meaningful snap on offense uh-huh. he'll be a dynamic return man and, and that's what I say like at the very his floor to me is cj sanders that's his floor because cj never really did a lot on offense he had like 24 catches one year but that kid was a dynamic return man. I mean, yes, I think in 2015, that Stanford yeah. game in 2015, you know, it's like he really set the tone for Notre Dame because Stanford took that opening drive and went right down the field and Notre Dame could do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame's offense never didn't step on the field until the game was tied again because C.J. Sanders took that next kick like 95 yards back to the house. You know, remember in uh, 2016, he had that, that kick return taken against Michigan State for a touchdown that got called back. But I think he had like four touchdown returns during his career. If I, if yeah. I remember correctly, I'm going to look that up here real quick. Uh, but, you know, that's one of those things where it's like that's important because that can change a game. I don't know if I don't know if C.J. Sanders caught a pass in that game against Stanford. You know, I don't, I don't know if he did anything of, of note as a wide receiver in that game, mm-hmm. but he certainly he certainly made an impact in that game. And I think that's the thing that when I look at, you know, when I look, yeah, C.J. Sanders that year in 2015 caught one pass for zero yards. So, yeah, he he didn't make that impact. But what he did was is he made an impact in the return game. And I think that's the thing I look at and say that's what I think that that he can bring to the table. Yeah, he had two kick returns for touchdowns in 2015. He had, uh, I think, another kick return for a touchdown, two kick returns for touchdowns in 2016. He had one against Syracuse. That's right. I forgot about the one against Army. I do remember the Syracuse one. So, I mean, that that kid was – I mean, he was just a dynamic – just a dynamic guy in that regard. And and that's what I think – you know, that's what I think that that Dylan can bring to the table even if for some reason he doesn't make an impact as a – as a you know, as a receiver or running back or whatever the case may be is he gives you that, minimum that. Now, I think he's got a chance to be used on offense more. Uh, for a number of reasons, but that's why I say like the floor is CJ Sanders. And if that's the floor, you know, that's, that's impactful, right? CJ Sanders had four special teams or t- touchdowns and didn't even play his full career at Notre Dame transfer. Yeah. If that's, if that's the worst case scenario, then you're, you're doing okay. Right. Yeah. If that's the floor, you're, you're in a good spot. You're in a good yep. spot. No doubt. So yeah, I love that they're bringing up Xavion Bradshaw. You are correct. That was definitely my guy. Tyler Evans asked the question, which college football head coach do you think is on the hot seat this year and why? I'm going to make a bold statement, and you guys tell me if I'm right or wrong. And this is not 
clickbaity or this is not an attempt to take a shot at a rival. I genuinely believe this. Because of the manner in which the offseason was handled and the lack of momentum the program has, if Jim Harbaugh doesn't win at least nine games this year, he will be on the hot He is, I think he is on the hot seat because he was on the hot seat before last year. And the playoff run saved it. Now, he was. He was on the hot seat last year. The playoff run saved it. And then he ruined all that by the NFL stuff. The fortunate thing is he's got a really soft schedule this year in the non-conference, which should help him. But I think that Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh could be on the hot seat. Now, the the, the caveat is there's been a change of leadership in Michigan, and I'm not sure how that's going to go. I think there's like an interim president now because the previous president got fired. He hated Harbaugh. If that guy was still at, at Michigan, he would definitely be done after this next year. No, that guy just hates football, and Jim Harbaugh, you know, is the is Mr. Michigan. So a, fo- a football coach. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's one. Do you guys have you guys? First of all, tell me what you think about that, and then also some other coaches that you think are on the hot seat this season. I, I mean, I think in a vacuum, you should be right. I mean, it's it hasn't been up to standard in a large enough capacity. I think that you just look at a Jim Harbaugh and say like you should have complete job security i just don't i don't know why brian but i just don't buy it man i just Mm -hmm. think that it's the i think it is the michigan man lore like i Mm -hmm. i I think that we're more likely to see him resign at some point than him be fired if that makes sense but would it be a let me ask are you referring to just him deciding to leave or are you referring to like a forced resignation because to me that's kind of the same thing I think it would have to get bad this year for it to be okay. a forced resignation. I don't think it's like if nine wins happens, I don't think it's a four. Like okay. I, I don't no, know. No, if I'm he wins nine game. games, it's he's fine. He's fine. What, what if what if it's eight? Do you think then? I mean, with that schedule, point? that's bad. Yeah, yeah okay. that's bad because right. that schedule that's is. So, if they go eight and five, they lost at least two games. That they have no business because Michigan's got a good roster coming back. They really they do. do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they if they lose more than four games, that's a really bad season. Especially with that non-conference. I mean, there's like Hawaii, Colorado State, and UConn. That's embarrassing. That's a terrible non-conference schedule. So, again, I think that the – you know, because I really – like how he bungled this – I mean, their recruiting class is trash. It's awful. And a big part of it is is the head – you lost Gaddis, you lost your recruiting guy, but then also your head coach basically was telling people he was leaving. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a bad look, man. That's a – that's like – that's even worse than what Kelly did. You know, like you knew that stuff was out there, but Kelly wasn't telling recruits he was leaving, which is what Jim Harbaugh did. It was yeah. wild. It was I, I wild. have I have two. One is an easy one. It's mm-hmm. one that everyone's been talking about. Brian Harson at sure. Auburn. I mean, that one's hot. Might be even was, understatement. For, yes, for yes, it is scorching hot, man. It's not great. It's not great. It was a terrible offseason for him. Some bad looks all the way around. We could talk about that at a different time. And then also the program is just not good right now, man. Like there's just not a ton of talent Mm -hmm. in Auburn that there should be at the University of Auburn. So that's an easy one for me. Here's a little bit of a a weird one, I guess, because you haven't really heard the name circulate in this manner. But I think if Chip Kelly has another A year that he could be on the hot seat, Chip Hmm. Kelly out there in UCLA. I think that one's one's pushing it a little bit because it will probably take a – I don't know what UCLA's expectations are and they're moving to the Big Ten and doing all that type of stuff, but – I, I I expected UCLA to be a bit little better at this point when Chip actually got there because I I thought that they had a little bit of an opportunity with USC being a little down and the Pac-12 not mm-hmm. being great, but I just don't think they've taken the step forward in I my agree. opinion that I I expected. And they had a good year last year. 
yeah. uh, solid year last year, but you know, not getting to play in a bowl game hurt them because it it prevented them from potentially having like a a, a ninth win, which would have been nice because I I think they'd have a shot to beat NC State. But to your point, Ryan, their roster should have been better than than nine eight and four last year. I mean, losing 100%. to Fresno, losing at home to Arizona State, like that 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 those those to me completely overrid the LSU win, right? Yeah. Or pounding USC last year. I mean, it just yeah, I, 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 that's yeah. any lost Justin Fry, which mm-hmm. I think hurts. But yes, I, I would, and the recruiting has been kind of, eh. As that, well. That's that's just a roster. I remember last year, I think I was on a show where I, I predicted that they could win ten games last yeah. year, just because they I should have. They had enough. They should have flipped and I mean, beat Arizona State and Fresno State at home. I'm sorry, yes. like yes. that's just you know, like those are bad losses, really bad losses. Anybody else that you'd have, Ryan, before I kick it over to Sean as far as on the hot seat? Because I got definitely a couple guys that, that to me are on – a lot of my – I mean, there's a lot of turnover this last offseason. Like, I'm, the I'm fact that nobody's you. talking about Washington's coach coaching turnover, like, that's a big program. And, like, nobody talks about it because you had LSU, Notre Dame, yeah. you had Florida, you had all these – you know, USC, Oklahoma, you had all these major blue bloods changing head coaches that people aren't even talking about. Like, the fact that we saw, like, a change at, like, Washington. But yeah. anybody else that you'd have on there? Uh, the last guy that came to mind, and I saw someone also put in the chat, was Scott Frost at Nebraska. Like, that one's near in the end, right? That's like the precipice of getting out of there. It just has not yeah. been good. And I know they lost a lot of close games last year, and I think that's why it's, it honestly gave them another year because it's like, yes. you know, a, a play here and there, you know, a, a little swing one way or the other, then this is a much different sure. season than what we're looking at. But it's it just has not – been what they anticipated would be when he came yeah. from UCF. Yeah. Sean, you got any? I got a couple. I'm curious if you guys mentioned some of these. Nebraska was one of mine, Ryan. Like, that's, I mean, I don't care if you had every game you lost was by one point, you still lost nine freaking games. Now, yeah. Sean and I talked about Nebraska last Saturday, and we both think that they got a legit shot to win the West, but they've got to be in that conversation this year, or he can't justify keeping his job, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Like, he really can't. Sean, who, who do you got? Um, I have three. Okay. I think Loxley at Maryland. Okay, that's that's a good one. Possibly on the hot seat. And then two guys that should be on the hot seat. I don't know how hot their seats are, but James, this is a make-or-break season. We talked about the schedule for Penn State and how it fares and the talent they have. If James Franklin goes eight and four, it's like, okay, dude, like it might be time. It, mm-hmm. it might be time to make a change. David Shaw needs to be on the hot seat. Yeah. He needs to be. And I know Stanford might be super comfortable with him, but he's tremendous when he's covering the draft. Yeah. I'll say that. Right. <laughs> His last. Maybe take a little bit of time he puts into that preparation and do a little right. bit of recruiting. Right. Exactly. Shots, shots fired. Yeah. And, I'm just saying. According to him, post-game Notre Dame, that game was a close game. They lost by 31. <laughs> like, and, it, and Notre Dame didn't play well. When he said that, I was like, wow. Like, he saying, is completely li- – he's living in fantasy land right now. Like, Well, he believes his team is right there. Yeah. And you know, Tanner McKee comes back, you know, running game. He did have a lot of injuries last year. Yes. Both sides of the but ball. that's been he almost every year the last three years, Sean. That's and true. that at that's some true. point you got to say, hey, maybe we're not doing this this thing right if we constantly are having these debilitating injuries. Because when they were a super physical team from like yeah. 9 to 15, 
they didn't have these many injuries. Right. Now they're playing finesse football and, and they can't stay healthy. Like, you know, yeah, mm, something's going on there. Yeah. I think his seat should be at least warm mm-hmm. right about now. Anybody else? Because I think I think so. Like, here's what I had, Sean. I have two coaches that are not on the hot seat. And I think this is what you were saying. They're not on the hot seat, but if they don't do well now, they will be next year. Is that kind of what you're saying about Franklin? Like he's not yeah. on the hot seat, like he won't get fired. She right. won 11 and 11 the last two years with top 10 recruiting hey, classes. Would, a lot of dudes getting drafted. I right? would consider firing him, but yeah. Right. <laughs> but right. Now, I will say this, because also he's in a benefit of there is a new AD, and most ADs will give you a year. You know, like Jack Swarbrick did that with Charlie Weiss. I think James will get – two to turn it around but if they don't win if they are not at least a nine win team this year he has to be on the hot seat going into next season and i would say the same thing about mike norvell mike norvell inherited a dumpster fire like i'm giving him time but if i don't start to see some semblance of we're turning the corner then next year he's on my hot seat Yeah, yeah okay yeah you know a guy that i didn't have on my list until it kind of hit me is is Herm Edwards, because I just kind of assumed that he'd already been fired by now. How does that guy have a job? <laughs> like, not even that they fail on the field last year, but, like, how many different rule vi- – I mean, his whole staff – half his staff got suspended for violations. Talk about lack of institutional control. Oh, yeah. I mean, good Lord. How much transfer turnover is that? Oh, my too? gosh. Yeah, it's not great. So, here's a couple others. You know, there's actually a lot for me in the uh, several coaches in the ACC to me. Number one, Tom Allen in Indiana. Great hmm. defensive coordinator, great guy, but they were bad last year. Like really bad last yeah, year. They were really bad. They lost he, Penix early, right? Didn't they lose? Yeah, but they were well, bad. Panic Panix I mean, ended up throwing like four touchdowns and seven he, interceptions. He wasn't very he was good bad. when he played. Yeah. So what what the concern that he has is you're now looking like you didn't win the year before because of you. You lost because of Kalen DeBoer, or you won because of Kalen DeBoer. And as soon as he left, your mm-hmm. offense went to the tank. Yeah. And now who's Michael yeah. Penix gonna play for this year? at Washington right yeah Yeah. but it wasn't just at their record Sean like they went two and ten they lost by 37 points at the end of the season to Purdue they lost by 21 at home to Minnesota they lost by 35 points at home to Rutgers (laughs) their wins this year was a blowout win over Idaho and a two-point win at Western Kentucky Mm -hmm. they I mean of their losses only two of them were by single digits. They lost by five to Michigan State and three at Maryland. I mean, they lost by 28 to Iowa, 14 to Cincinnati, 24 to Penn State, 47 to Ohio State, 22 to Michigan, 35 to Rutgers, 21 to Minnesota, and 37 to Purdue. Like, that's the polar opposite of what we're talking about in Nebraska, where it's like a play here. I mean, a play here and a play there, and then maybe you only lose by 30. You know, I mean, that's that 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 was bad, and I think he is one of the best people in college football from everything I've ever heard. And you just see how the players react to him and all that. But some people just aren't meant to be head coaches, and that's my concern about Tom Allen. Is when you go on the tank like that, when you lose your offensive coordinator and you just are you become a a pretty terrible football team. You know that that's a big red flag for me, and so he's on he would be on the hot seat for me. Couple in the ACC, 
this is a big year for Jeff Collins. Yes. Big year for Jeff Collins. Yeah. Like he has shown no improvement in that program. He tried, he tried to the transfer portal route. That hasn't really paid off. They've had some really bad losses. You know, they've been competitive at times, right? Like they took Clemson down to the wire last year in a really competitive game. That was that was fun to watch and to see. You know, they they almost lost to Northern Illinois, but you shouldn't have lost at all to Northern Illinois. But but they also kind of had a similar end of the season, like I'm talking about with Indiana. You it, you can't like here's the here's Scott Frost saving grace. Your worst loss was a nine point loss, margin of victory. Like then your most embarrassing loss, I would argue for for Nebraska was just getting completely outplayed in the opener by Illinois. And it was only an eight-point game, but it they scored hey. a couple times late. To, hey. What? Be nice. I am being nice. They thoroughly got outplayed by Illinois in that game. Don't talk about he, my line. He was, I'm, he was I'm giving shot, him credit. They had the most convincing win over Nebraska. Like, last year. like there's no way they should have lost to that team. No, I'm saying no, 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 I'm, Mr. I'm sensitive, no, Mr. No, sensitive. No, no, <laughs> it no. was a game that wasn't as competitive. Like that, that, that was not an eight-point game. True, true, true. And and so, but the rest of them were games where if they could have done this or that, like they were in every game in the fourth quarter, every single one. Yeah. Whereas you look at Georgia Tech, and you know how you know what the final the, the, the score they played Georgia Notre Dame to end the season. Do you know what the combined scores of those two games was? It was like forty five nothing and thirty five nothing, something no. like that. Right? Hundred to nothing. Well, to get because uh, Notre Dame know. beat them fifty five to nothing, and Georgia beat them forty five to nothing. Got it. Got it. Yep. And you know, and then I mean, you know, you lost by thirty one to Pitt. I mean, it, it just. And then you watch them just thoroughly dismantle North Carolina, and you're like, well, there's clearly some talent there. Yeah, They're just not coached well. And it's, again, it's not everybody's meant to be a head coach. If they don't – they've got to be a bowl team this year, or he's a, he's got to be done. I mean, you replaced a guy that was going to bowl games consistently in Paul Johnson, you know, and you you can't use the whole option thing anymore. You're far enough removed from that. You can't use that as an excuse, excuse anymore. So to me, they're on the hot seat. And here's another one: How is Dino Babers not on the hot seat right now? I, like they have been bad be. since eighteen, right? I mean, I don't know if he's on the hot seat now, but he's at least got to be a, another non-bowl season away from at least being on it, right? Like, what does like what has Dino done? Like Syracuse is not the kind of program with their tradition. When you go back to you know Paul McPherson at quarterback and Marvin Graves and Donovan McNabb, like a one good ten-win season doesn't warrant like what it does for Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, Syracuse should be a little better than that. And they have been downright bad in recent seasons. So I'm really curious about why Dino isn't someone – is it just because nobody cares mm-hmm. that he's not on the hot seat? Because the other thing too, Sean, and respond to this after but I just made this point, the problem is they have so deteriorated offensively and that's supposed to be his strength. That's right. They've been pretty mediocre to bad on offense the last two years. So when you're not even good at what you do, that's a that's a big concern for me. Yeah, his former quarterback is probably going to be the starting quarterback for my fight in the line. Okay. Not yeah, Tommy, uh, Tommy DeVito, DeVito, right. That's right. <laughs> but he is from everyone. You know, I've worked with several people that are alums, mm-hmm. and he's, he's really – they well liked. like him. Yeah. The administration loves him. The community loves him. Uh, his wife is very active in the community. So they're really strong ties and they've set up good root. So, you know, it might just take 
a catastrophic season, maybe like three and nine or right. something like that to force the administration's hand. Because if he's anywhere around 500 or sniffing a bowl game, he's he, more than likely he's going to keep up, you know, keep his job. And actually coming back this year, they have high expectations offensively because of the skill position. Right. You got so, Sean Tucker coming back. You've yeah. got Garrett Schrader's a really dynamic runner. You've got a yeah. decent O-line coming back. You've got one of the better uh, cornerbacks in the ACC coming back. So, I, you know, I, I, I do wonder, however, it, it just sometimes I feel like do some schools like Syracuse accept, hey, here's who we are as a program. We're never going to beat Clemson. We got a guy that does it the right way and graduates as players. The kids try hard. They're involved in the community. Does there come a point in time where where an institution says, you know what, there are some things that are more important than winning? Especially now that the TV deals are so locked into where we're still going to get our money, whether we're 0 and 12 or, you know, you know, obviously there may be some losses from an alumni donation standpoint, but is is football really the alumni donation driving entity that basketball program would be? I, I don't I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But Maybe that's why he just never hears his name mentioned. And that's the thing with Tom Allen is everything I hear about Tom Allen, same thing, like really good guy. It's just, but you're paid to win football games at that level. And they're just yeah. not winning football games. And How many programs really, this is a question that's always asked in other professional leagues. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it applies. I'll be interested in hearing what both of you think. How many presidents really want to win the national championship not head coaches not athletic directors yeah. how many presidents really want to win a national championship in football well i mean once a word i mean one i feel like everyone wants to win but yeah like, I, I think your question like, is how many are like tangibly have it set as a goal right like that's yeah, what you're yeah, asking yeah well that's, that's the expectation yeah, right that's better right. Yeah, yeah thank you yeah ryan that's perfect yeah, yeah. That's perfect. um it's tough <laughs> Tough thing to answer. I mean, I'd honestly, say yeah. I think you could argue there's about twenty. I, I think so? I, I do because I think there's because a, and a big chunk are in the SEC because they're they're the most unrealistic like fantasy land people you're ever gonna find. You know, like I <laughs> mean, like Clarkley. Like, <laughs> yeah, like well, why haven't you won a title? It's like uh, because I coach at Mississippi State. You know, it's like, you know, I, I feel like there's some people like you know, a and like here's one. Here's a question for you: What has Jimbo got to do this year to not be on the hot seat next year? Because what has he done at AM? He had one good season where he only played SEC teams, you know, and then and then beat North Carolina when they had half their roster not there. They're a preseason top 10 team last year when eight and four. They're a preseason mm-hmm. top 10 this year. If they go eight and four, seven and five again, you're like, dude, what's going on they, here? They have to win 10 games. They have to win 10 I, games I gotta think so. I gotta yeah. think so. Uh yeah. and, and avoid the bad the bad losses. But to your point, like AM has not won a real national championship in my lifetime. And yet they still think they're that team. They still mm-hmm. think they're that kind of program, you know? And, and so I, I bet you, you could get there. That 10. Well, I haven't looked at their schedule, but I can tell you one game. They're not going to win. Oh gosh. Yeah. That game of Tuscaloosa is going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> so so what's that? 11 chances. to yeah. win. <laughs> the, I don't know what the rest of the schedule looks like, but <laughs> Uh, I'm going to actually look up the rest of this guy. He's got the bowl game too, Sean, all right? Right. Right. We got a shot shot there. Yeah. We got got 10 out of 12. 10 out of 12. Here's who A&M plays this year. They open up 
well, this really brutal start to the season against Sam, Sam Houston State. Then they play. Hey, hey Sam Houston State <laughs> won a championship. Yeah. Late, uh, last spring, right? Uh huh. Sure. And then they play <laughs> App State at home. Then they, this is a, this will be a good game. They play Miami at home. And then they play Arkansas in their traditional game in Dallas or Arlington, but they that game's always played in a, on a neutral field. Then they're at Mississippi State at Alabama. They, they got to be five and one. Game. Yeah, they can lose be- that Arkansas between game. Arkansas, Miami, and Mississippi State. I see them losing one of those games. I like Arkansas. They're, they're yeah, they're trending in a good direction. When they beat the opinion. crap out of Texas A&M last year, it was twenty to ten. But if if KJ Jefferson doesn't go down in that play. game. Right, because like they were steamrolling AM up to that point in time, yep. so steamrolling them at that point in time, and then they come out of the bye week after Alabama, and that's their second loss. And then they're at South Carolina, that's not going to be a cakewalk this year, I don't think. Home, home against Ole Miss, home against Florida, at Auburn, home against UMass, home against LSU. So if they can come out of the bye week with one to two losses. They'll have mm-hmm. a decent chance to be a 10-win team in the regular season, just on talent alone. Because at South Carolina, home against Ole Miss, home against Florida, at Auburn, home against UMass, home against LSU. How many of those teams are going to have a better roster than what Texas A&M is going to field this year? UMass, obviously. Correct. Correct. Yes, the, the mighty <laughs> Minutemen. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, how do you not win 10 games with this? The, I mean, they've had three straight top 10 recruiting classes, including the number, the greatest recruiting class ever last year, allegedly, because, you know, they signed eight defensive linemen and one linebacker because that totally is, allows you to put a team on the field, uh, by the way. Hey, you know what's something I thought about? The minute Notre Dame gets a quarterback in this class, their recruiting class will literally be able to field a starting 11 on both sides of the ball. Yeah, because yep. they have they have two defensive ends, two defensive tackles, three linebackers, two corners, and two safeties in the class right now. Offensively, they have one running back, three receivers, one tight end, five starting offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. So they're a quarterback away from having it. Like that's the balance you talk about. Like you know, Alabama, or Texas A&M last year signed eight defensive linemen and one linebacker. Yeah, it's highly ranked class with a lot of guys, but you know what? They can't put a field a team on the field. So, you know, whatever. Unless we're gonna go to that new four one seven defense or four one six defense. So I mean it is it is the passing era. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> we're just in we're just in dime yeah. all day. So seriously. I gotta get I, your guys' thoughts on oh go ahead, Ryan. I was gonna throw one more name out there that just sure. kind of popped in my head as far as a hot seat guy. Eli Drinkwitz out of Missouri is a guy hmm. because and let me paint the case here, Brian. Ready? So he came in, he was at Appalachian State, did a good job at App State. I think his last year he was like 12-1 and one at App State. He comes into Missouri during the abbreviated season. They end up playing 10 games. He goes 5-5, five and five, which was an improvement in his first year. Last year he goes 5-7, and seven, so not quite the season that I think they were expecting. Mm-hmm. They are in the kind of they, they went six they and won. seven real quick six and six seven. and seven. My apologies. Yeah. Yep, six and seven. Lost to Army in the bowl game, which is not a not a not a great loss there. Mm-hmm. But why I say this is a couple layers. One, I thought that they were kind of in that middle pack in the SEC where, with the Kentuckys of the world, the Tennessees, the Arkansas, were like, can Missouri be that next kind of jump up team? And they fell flat against all three of those teams last year. They lost to Kentucky by seven. They got destroyed by Tennessee, 62 to 24. And they lost to Arkansas, 34 to 17, which then was capped off by the Army lost in the bowl game, where they were also fighting at the end of the game. And kind of an ugly scene. And I will tell you from a NFL draft note for a second, 
One, Missouri's pretty talented. Yep. But then two, Brian, I don't know if you heard this, but there's a little insight for people out there. A lot of scouts were very upset with Missouri last year with, with game visits and just mm. campus visits in general because apparently they were not treated very well. So there's a lot yeah. of toxicity apparently happening in that program. Yeah. So that's more of why I think it's – if you have a if you have a below five hundred season, if you're missing yeah. this year, I think Drinkwitz could be in some problems there. Two things that hurt him. Be I didn't hear that, so that adds a layer. That's where you build a rap bad reputation, and and that hurts your kids. I mean, that stuff hurts your kids. Mm-hmm. Two things that that hurt him last year. The Army loss was bad. The Army loss plus the way they lost was bad. You go seven and six with some of the losses that yeah they had a nice one over Florida, but the other part is. It means something when you it, it's it's one thing to lose, it's another thing to get blown out consistently. And that was the thing is they just weren't competitive in some games. Uh, those are the two things. The one thing that I think helps him is they're coming off of a really good recruiting class, a really good recruiting class. And so if they can at least be a, a bowl team again, like just repeat what you were last year, I think that might get him one more year because he'd only have three. And then one of the sure. years was the COVID year. So I think if they can at least be a bowl team this year, I think that gives them one more year. Because usually when you recruit well, people say, hey, let's let him get to that, at least see what he can do with that one recruiting class. And, you know, but I, I think it is a thing where when you – the only way that I think he would get fired this year, just my opinion, Ryan, would be is if they just, like, tank. Yeah. Like four and eight or right. five and seven, but get blown out a bunch. I think – and then the recruiting class – falls apart. I think that's something that could hurt yeah. too. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm envisioning because they took a step back last year. So I'm envisioning if yeah. they go four and eight, five and seven, that's right. kind of the disclaimer to it. If they go eight and four, then this is a moot point, right? Like that's right. a step in the right direction. Right. And I don't know if I necessarily took a step back. I mean, I think they were the same team. They were 500 in the regular season the year before. They were 500 last year. They just lost the bowl game. They didn't play yeah. in a bowl game the year before. So I mean, I get what you're saying, but th- but that's yeah. the same. That's no not a whole lot different than I mean, staying the same mediocre is not exactly like a ringing endorsement for me keeping my job. That's fair. I, yeah. I just think that I just think that they have a lot more talent on that team than yes. a six and seven Agreed. team. I mean, they, they their quarterback transferred out of Indiana. He so regressed. Like, I mean, like he, he really did. regressed. He, he took. I liked him the year before. I was yeah. like, wow. Like the game he had against Georgia as a retro freshman, I was like, oh, this kid can spin it a little bit. You lose him. You lose those defensive backs that are that you know the alley. Um, what was his name? A Caleb Evans that almost mm-hmm. went to Notre Dame, who was a drafted player. You had the running back last year who was a sixteen hundred plus yard rusher right. in his lone season, and he was drafted as well. You have two offensive tackles that are on NFL radars. You have several defensive linemen that are on NFL radars, and yet you weren't a very good team, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of I'm just when you add all those things together, yep. it's not purely an on-field reasoning for why I think that he could be on the hot seat. It's more about everything kind of together. Yeah. Sean, anything else to add to that? Any Anybody else kind of pop in your head as guys that are on the hot seat? I think we kind of got oh, – Ryan we kind of Ryan, got to those. Ryan has me rooting against Missouri this year. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand people like that. No, the, the, the that, that, opens up, that opens up St. Louis even more, right? Be, yes, because, Sean, you know what bothers me is I hate – and this is part of my frustration with the previous head coach in Notre Dame – I can't stand when people don't do things that they are in control of. You can't control what admissions does. You can't control. I mean, there's all types of things. You can't control what kids decide and all this kind of stuff. But what you can control is how you treat people. That is 100% in your control. How you treat people. How you go about your business every day. Do you demand, you know, professionalism and respect and things like that? I don't care if you go 0 and 12. And and that is the thing is like how you treat people 
it, it to me says a lot about you. And I just, to me, that is just, I can't stand coaches like that. Like yeah. that is, that's not acceptable because that has nothing to do with your facilities. That has nothing to do with your admissions department or your donors or anything else. It's just about you think that you're here and everybody else is here for some insane reason. And, you know, like the fact that you would not treat NFL people well, like that just tells me you don't really, at the end of the day, don't give a rip about your kids either. It's all about you. Yeah. 100%. Like you should want those people to feel like you, I, I love, because you know, in the scouting world, man, I love going to that school. I, like they I'll, treat me great. They put me up. They like, they treat, give us lunch. They give us access to all their film. They let us meet with the kids they, and they really open it up and makes it easier for me to do my job. I love rec- scouting that school. Then there's like, Oh crap. I got to go to that school again. I right. hate going to that school. Right. That's a truth in scouting. And you, we all know it. Yeah. Brian, we, we talked about a school out west that's a little bit of a dumpster fire, Arizona State. I mm-hmm. will tell you this for 100% certainty, and this is out there if you want to find it, so I don't have to be like, oh, you know, don't have to hide names or whatever. A defensive back coach that was at Missouri last year left voluntarily this offseason to go to Arizona State. That's all I'm yeah. going to say about how the Missouri program is right now. Yes. So we can he leave it there. Job, so he took a job that he might not have in a year. Right. Just to get correct. out of Missouri, that is that correct. tells me their head coach is just not a very likable person. Yeah, and wow. I was I was excited about him after the five five season because I was like Missouri was bad before that. I'm yeah. like, okay, they had a little bit of life, yeah. and then I hear all and this they had stuff some really like, good offenses at App State, like you know, really well designed, well schemed offenses. I can't stand yep. stuff like this. I yep. gotta get your guys' opinion on this next one. This is from Tavis McKay. Rumor mill question. Bowl. This was on ESPN. Bowl games being moved to the first game of the season to encourage better non-conference scheduling, especially since the main bowl games would remain. What are Irish Breakdown's thoughts? Are, are we are we rewarding teams for not playing? It's not even was... about rewarding. It's just making the first game of the year be bowl games, and you just have matchups. We're gonna no, yep, no, no. bowl so games it's... are like a. It's like a. It's like a, it's a little sacred for me, honestly. And it's yeah. kind of like a holiday thing, right? It's like, yeah. oh, we're around Christmas now. And it's, it's a it's reward like, for what you've done. Yeah, exactly. That's why I get sick of ESPN. Like, oh, these bowl games don't matter. Shut up. They don't matter to you and your ratings, but they matter to these kids who get this one last chance to play together and this chance to go. A lot of these kids don't get a chance to travel and go on vacations to places and things like that. This is a chance for them to do all those things and their families to do it. So I get so sick of that. But this is such a stupid idea, Sean. Are you on the same page with us or are you going to have a different yeah. argument for this? Uh, it sounds like, I'm, you know, I'm thinking like ESPN. Since sure. I was there. <laughs> right. It sounds like a money grab. Yeah. It's, it's, it's driven by money. And you figure that the, the bowls are becoming, are losing some of the luster on the yeah. back end. Because of you. So if ESPN we to the front end, right. and everybody's coming in undefeated with high expectations. Then we can sell it a little bit better, maybe get more corporate involvement, more money. Right. Because they here's the thing: they control all the bowls. Right. What they don't control is all the conferences. Right. Because if they were smart and this was really about making the game better, they would do what college basketball does, yeah. which again ESPN has control over almost all of college basketball. And that is have your first or it should be the second week. The second week of every season is the power five setting up other games against other power fives. 
right? Like, hey, the Big Ten versus Big 12 challenge, and it's the right. ACC versus the Pac-12, and then the SEC versus the Big 12 or whatever. And you can rotate them every year, you know, and you can schedule. And you say, hey, look, here's the matchups we're going to set. And you'll find some sort of, I don't know, cool thing. You say, hey, look, we're, we'll schedule it, you know, two years out, we'll kind of schedule it of the matchups of the, you know, this ranked opponent from this conference against the best of that conference or something like that. You know, the first and the third of it, both leagues play each other. So, I mean, something, you can do all types of different things with it. But they won't do that because the Big Ten has is on Fox, the Big 12 is on Fox, and, yeah. you know, and th- it limits what they can do. But that's what I would much rather see than some nonsense of bowl games. Make it a, you know, ACT, ACC. I mean, the Big Ten versus ACC challenges are still great TV and basketball. I, mean, I love true. those things. Yeah. yeah. And then I didn't the Big 12 and somebody else sign one this year, like the last couple of years? The 12 SEC. There you go. I mean, yeah. th- those would be what I want to see. You know, like yeah. all these conferences that have rivalries. Yeah. You know, like let them go play, let them do something to play each other or something like, I don't know, like there'd be all types of different things that I would think would be more fun. Or maybe like you put the East versus the East or the, you know, in the different conference, you know, different, you do some kind of thing. Cause you know, there's five power fives. I mean, there'd yeah. be something you'd have to, you know, do differently, or maybe, you know, there's different ways to go about it, but I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think that'd be a lot more fun than flipping bowl games to start the season like what kind of nonsense is that like only an entity like espn would come up with something like that like is, is that is that just for the participation stuff i guess is that like you know kids sitting out for nfl draft stuff and i don't know teams op like teams not playing I, for I don't, whatever reason right I, well that's a yeah. covid thing i mean that's a right. s- stupid covid thing but like right. the kids sitting out bowl games i'm against that but i'm at the point now where like use it like as a coach, like fine, you don't play, it's all good. This gives me 15 practices to work with my upcoming sophomore who's going to take that kid's job next year. And it's yeah. his chance to break out. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, if it if it wasn't for Kyron Williams sitting out the bowl game, we don't know that Chris Tyree is the dynamic, you know, we don't get to see him go out with his hundred yard, you know, performance or that kind of thing. You know, I mean, it's just it, I don't like it, but I understand it. But here's here's the deal. If you want more more kids not sitting out bowl games, we'll go back to my proposal again. Tie the bowl system into the playoff. You don't pick your four until after the bowls are played out. That's what you do. And that's how you make the bowl games matter. That's fair. John A1 says, it was mentioned practice was longer or practices lengths regulated by the NCAAs, the length of a big change from the past stat. Yes, it is longer. Uh, it, it definitely is a, a longer. Sean, you got to run. So thanks yeah, for coming on, it, buddy. Have I a great appreciate show. it. Good weekend, guys. Appreciate it. Ryan and I know you got a you. We still got a little bit of time with you, correct? So yep. you're good to go. Uh, yep. John, you are only allowed a certain amount of hours into practice. And what Notre Dame was in the past was not Notre Dame was what I was told was not getting to the full number of allotted hours. They were under all the time, and that's not necessarily bad. If you're getting work in and you're efficient and you're kicking butt, then you can use that extra hours for film and weight room. And there's other things you can do that aren't on the practice field. But basically, it's like 20 hours a week in the regular season, but the 20 hours includes weight room. It includes practice. It includes uh, required, like you can require, we're going to have a film study session or a meeting at this time that counts towards your 20 hours. Uh, So uh, now kids can meet on their own stuff like that, but you can't require more than 20 hours in a week. So it is Mm -hmm. regulated. There's a little bit looser in fall camp because there's no school, but there are limitations to it. Okay, John, Jordan Scriber says, do you think Junior Two Alamaka is ahead of Bo Bauer on the Mike Depp chart at the moment? Is Junior already showing the instincts of being where he's supposed to, that that where he's supposed to, that he's been elusive for Bo so far? 
I mean, Jordan, we talked about this in the show the other day. He's not ahead of Bo now, but I think he's going to push. We think he's going to definitely push this year. And a lot of it is because of what he said, Ryan, which is, mm-hmm. you know, Bo Bauer's a pretty good athlete, pretty good size, physical kid. He just, the instincts haven't always been there. And that's the first thing you notice about Junior. So sure. I think a lot of it is, is not even about Junior. It's, it's about Bo. If mm-hmm. Bo improves in that area, then Bo will play. If he doesn't, then Junior will play. And I've been told, actually, one of the intel things we had the other day, and I can say it now because it's been a little bit, one of the things mm-hmm. you would have known already is we're told that Junior's pushing for a role on that nickel package. Well, who is going to come out if Junior's starting the nickel package? It's Bo Bauer. There you go. There you <laughs> yeah, go. It's, it, it's an interesting one, Brian, because, I mean, we've talked about this a ton. Middle linebacker is such a position that is built off of just like the mental side of the game too, right? So it's – if we're looking at a freshman coming in, you would think that a senior, I mean, Bo's a fifth year guy, right? So you would think that he would have a extreme advantage from a mental side of the game, just being in the system and being it, you know, just being a college football player for so long. It's not usually a transition that a freshman comes in and they're just ready to play because I mean, they're communicators. They are setting up the defense and doing all that type of stuff. It's a tough transition to make when you're a middle linebacker. So I think the biggest you know, kind of pat on the back that you can give to junior so far is that it's not that he's a physically impressive kid. I mean, I think that you could watch his highlight tape in high school and be like, you know, he's a dense dude. He hits, you know, has a lot of power, like all that good stuff. The fact that he's come in and only a spring and now going into the fall summer workouts, obviously included having the mental side of the game at an advanced level where you are challenging a fifth year senior, I think kind of just speaks volumes. The question is, how quickly can you kind of eliminate the rest of the gap and then overtake Bo? Or is Bo just kind of lit on fire a little bit and mm-hmm. say, like, I need to take my game up a little bit, right? Obviously, to fend off this talented freshman. So I think it's the mental side, way more than the physical, that's going to be the separator here. Because like you said, Bo Bauer's a talented kid. It's not that right. he lacks athleticism or size. He has those things in spades. It's just that, fortunately for the Notre Dame staff, Junior Toya Lamaka came in right in the spring practice. And from the second that he got there, it was like, he's assignment correct. And he yeah. understands the game and he's doing those little things that separate middle linebackers. Mm-hmm. We have a super chat from AST12321. He says, do you think Ohio State will be ready for Tyler Buckner as a gifted passer? Or do you think their game plan will be based on 2021 film? I, I, I'll say this, Ryan. If they are a good coaching staff, they will have at least a little bit spent time watching Tyler Buckner in high school. Sure. If they're a smart coaching staff, they will understand that he had a role last year. And they'll see at least some of the things that he did as a – even as – I mean, look, he did some things as a pastor last year. They're going to say, hey, we got to be prepared for that. This kid throws a pretty good outside go route. You know, we got to be prepared for that. Will they be prepared for him to sit in the pocket and do all the things that Notre Dame hopes he's going to be able to do? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I, I think that, but that's what makes it harder. Is even if they are, it's still hard to defend it because if you're prepared for that, then you know, it makes it harder to stop us running. If you're prepared for his running, then it makes it a little bit harder to prepare for the passing. That's why it's so important that perimeter players step up, right? So what we talked about in the questions podcast you and I did the other day, Ryan, is like if Tyler Buckner's a, dan- a dynamic runner and your run game is really rolling and teams have to defend that, their answer to that is going to be to condense the box. If your outside guys are making plays and that really hurts people. Yep. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's, it's really hard to def- – it's like there's defensive coordinators that have stuff like I know – like I'm a smart coach and I know this play will stop what Ohio State does with this or what Alabama does with this. But do you have, A, the players and then, okay, but if you do something to stop that, you can't also stop this. 
And that's what right. makes that's what makes it so difficult to stop those great offenses. It's not that coaches aren't smart enough to figure it out, and it's not even necessarily that they just have way better players that factors into it. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's hard if you're a balanced team and you're explosive running and passing, it's hard to defend that. It really is hard to defend that. And that's why Notre Dame has had issues defending good run throw quarterbacks, even ones that aren't great, like Jawan Pass and you know, guys like that. It's just like, you know, and when they have stopped those guys like Bryce Perkins a couple years ago, they did it by just dominating line of scrimmage. Well, I don't think you're gonna be able to do that to Notre Dame this year. I agree. I agree. And, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I agree completely with, with, with your sentiment, and I was just more reaffirming the fact that I don't think that Ohio State is going to look at last year. I mean, they're going to look at last year's Tyler Buckner film that they have, but there's a natural maturation that comes with playing the game, right? Like, you're not preparing just for what you saw as a freshman. Like, you're going to prepare for what you think the best version of a Tyler Buckner is. And to your point, it affects multiple layers of the offense. It isn't just about the gifted passer conversation mm-hmm. right it's what he does in the run game to your degree how does it affect the box and the numbers game and all that great stuff right yeah. so i think that you are preparing for the absolute best of what you envisioned for it to be tyler right. buckner because if it is any less than what you're expecting then you're adequately prepared right. like you you prepared effectively at that point if if he is worse than what you prepared yeah. for so yeah ohio state has good coaches they have smart football guys. They're not going to be blindsided by the fact that Tyler Buckner's a dual threat, talented yeah. player. I, I'd be shocked if they're thinking he's going to be what he was last year. I just, I just look. Jim Knowles hasn't been around football this long to be in a, that situation. I just, I, I just, I'd be surprised by. It. Now we've seen stupid things before. It just that one would surprise me a little bit because he's a vet. That would that would he's be been around. Stupid. He's been around. Be yes. Yeah. I just don't see it now. Will they be prepared for the specific schemes that Notre Dame will use with Tyler? That'll be different because mm-hmm. that's how you can maybe catch them because, you know, what Tyler's going to like throwing is not necessarily going to be what Jack Cohn liked throwing. Sure. And, and so, you know, they've been able to catch some things there, but they're, they're not going to be like, I don't think like nine in the box, like this kid can't, you know, this, they're not going to, it's not like they're thinking they're going to go prepare to stop a triple option offense, right? Or Notre Dame's version of a triple option offense. I'd be surprised by that. Yes. Tony Shea said, did you see any kickers, Tony? We did answer that earlier, but I did want to at least pull this up and thank you for your super chat. We did, we're a chance to get that. They they did punting today, so there was not uh, specialists. Like the the, the place kicking, we, they were off on another field working, so the guys didn't get a chance to see that. But like I said, I did want to thank you for your super chat. Mm-hmm. Corey D with a super chat. Thank you, Corey, for that. He says, starting wide receivers for Notre Dame, Jaden Thomas, Lorenzo Styles, and Avery Davis with Lindsey coming off the bench. You agree with this? Uh, and uh, two, you expect this to be a blitz-happy defense. Let's take the second one first because it's easy. No, I don't expect this to be a blitz-happy defense. There's nothing in Marcus Freeman or Al Golden's background that makes me think that they would be blitz-happy. Will they have pressures? Will they bring pressures? Yes, they definitely will bring pressures. But blitz-happy, no. A lot of movement up front, I would anticipate, right? Like a lot of guys twists. I would expect a lot of slanting. Like I would expect And I would a lot. It's going to be aggressive. Yeah, I would would expect a lot more stunting than blitzing. And and what what that is, is stunting is essentially you're replacing somebody that's doing something else. So, uh, or slant. So like Ryan, you know, if they do like a, we'll do a simple one of a full weak side slant where your mic then stunts off the edge. It's more of a run stunt that can also open up some opportunities in the pass game, right? Cause the best run stunts are those that also pr- present opportunities to get after the quarterback. And the, if they yep. pass, 
I think we may see things where like, you know, the, the Viper drops in the coverage and they bring the will on a blitz. Uh, but that's a stunt, not a blitz. A blitz to you're me not, and how I define anybody extra. Right. right. Exactly. That's how I define a blitz. Am I bringing more blockers than you have? And I and I would even say even more so, I, I think a blitz is defined by am I bringing more blockers than you have at the line? I, I'm not getting technical where it's like, well, if they keep the back end, then you need seven. I, I don't really count that. Uh, it's a, it's basically are you bringing more than five? is a blitz to me, but inserting a Mike linebacker into a gap in the run game is more of a stunt than it is a blitz. I think we'll see a lot of that Ryan. Yes. And, 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 and we'll see some zone fires, which are blitzes, but uh, cause the other thing about a blitz is, is I, I would also define a blitz in at least how I did as an offensive coach is if you overwhelm me from a side, even if you only bring five guys, but you overwhelm me from a side, I would count that as a blitz because you're bringing more than I have to block, but even though your overall numbers, so it's a little bit, you know, it just and every team is going to treat it differently. It just depends on how it affects you and your in your your pass blocking schemes. Sure. But I don't expect them to be blitz happy. Uh, starting wide receivers from Notre Dame: Jane Thomas, Lorenzo Styles, uh, Avery Davis with Braden Lindsey coming off the bench. I mean, we'll see. Possibly. I mean, I, we've talked about this like with Braden Lindsey, and, and at times, like if he starts, that's fine. If he doesn't, I don't care. It's his reps are going to be the same. He's going to get the same number of snaps. I think sometimes there's value, and I don't know if Braden would agree with this, but sometimes I think there's value to where maybe he isn't on the field all the time at the start of a game. Right. And or maybe he starts the game because they're in a certain personnel package, but then he's not on series two or series three because I want to see him fresh in the fourth quarter. I want Braden Lindsay as fast as possible in the fourth quarter. And so if I got to take 10 to 12 to 15 reps off of him in quarter one and two to make sure he's fresh for extra snaps in quarter four when the defense is wearing down, that's where I want to be. So I'd be fine with that. I'd also be fine if they had Braden Lindsay in the starting lineup and Avery Davis on the bench or Lorenzo Styles coming off the bench or Jaden Thomas coming off the bench. It's just give me my best rotation. And, and here's the here's the reality too, people. If you go back and look at Notre Dame over the years, they don't ever have the same starters for every game because sometimes they're in 12 personnel, sometimes they're in 11 personnel where it's a different lineup because they're trying to accomplish something different. You're going to see different guys at different times. Jaden so, Thomas yeah. is a very interesting player, though, yes. man. He's he's the guy that I, I think I last time we talked about the wide receiver position, I think I called him an enigma. Like, I didn't know what to expect from him. I mean, it's only one practice, but good start, obviously, yeah. for him potentially getting that W position. So we'll see. And he can do a lot of different things. So even if a Tobias or a Deion Coles, he steps up and takes hold of that job, or both, Jaden Thomas can play all the other things. And that's what I, you know, the, the article I linked in there, that's the one thing I said about him even in high school, and it's still true now. He's not a yeah. boundary guy only. He can do a lot of different things. And by by Marcus Freeman's um, remarks after the practice, it is apparent that they are expecting a lot out of Jaden Thomas yes. this year. Too. And we had that in the Intel piece the other day, too, is a yeah. guy that they're very, very high on. Ward Carmody with a super chat thing or win Carmody with a super chat. Thank you. Win. he says, is the staff high on Buckner's throwing abilities and consistency? How about the mental side of things? Confident kid. So when I would encourage you to sign up for our message board, because we had a very thorough Intel piece on this. And I, one thing I will give you, however, and this is what you'd have known a couple of days ago, if you were on the board, but one of the things that was the sources I've had this year have praised him for, I mean, obviously the running ability, is his football mind. And we've talked about this in the past, Ryan. You and I have talked about it. Me and Vince, Vince and I have talked about it. And that is Tyler Buckner's anticipation in high school and even as a freshman and some of the practices and scrimmages that we saw, 
his anticipation is really good as a passer. It's just decision making, which is comes from experience, wasn't great. You know, knowing what the defense is doing and then knowing how to respond to it that comes from experience wasn't there yet. But Notre Dame has always been high on his ability to run the football or throw the football. That's where I think a lot of fans miss because of how he was used last year. Yep. Notre Dame used him last year because they just thought he was too good not to play. Sure. And that was the role they could use him for. But yes, uh, according to our sources, Notre Dame is very high on his throwing ability. He has to be more consistent. His accuracy is actually pretty good. His consistency isn't good. You know, he'll throw one low or sail one every now and then, and he's got to clean up that stuff. And there's a couple types of throws he's got to get better at. But, yes, they are very confident in that. And, yes, he is a confident kid, but not in the same way Drew Pine is. At least it doesn't manifest itself the same way. You know, two equally confident kids. Drew is more outgoing. I mean, Drew does the Connor McGregor thing at the after throwing a touchdown. I don't know if we'll see Tyler do that. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And it's not good or bad. It's just different. You need to be yourself. They're both great leaders. They're both very confident. Tyler's just more of the, at least what we've seen so far and what we've seen in high school, a little bit more of the the quiet confidence than he is, just the he's, outgoing confidence. He He's like the never too high, never too low right. kid. Like that, he's right. always just the same guy, it seems, which yeah. I, I I like. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no one way to do it. That, but yeah, I, I especially for a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, especially for a quarterback. William Chesney says, hey, guys, who do you think has the better record this year, Michigan or USC? Uh, we'll, we'll answer these one at a time. So first one from William. And thank you for your super chat, William, very much. Who do you think I have a better record this year, Michigan or USC, Ryan? It's Michigan for me. I actually would probably pick USC. Just really? Like, that, that schedule's soft, man. Like so is Michigan's. Schedule. I know. I know. I don't. I don't know what it is, but I. I I'm, I'm going to pick USC. It's going to be. A, it's going to be a tight okay. contest. I'm going to read you Michigan's schedule. Okay. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Home against Colorado State. Loss. Keep going. Get the heck out. Of here. <laughs> Remember all those people saying, "Hey, you made a great hire with Ryan." Gone. Everything's um, back today. <laughs> home against Hawaii. It's two wins. Okay. Home against UConn. Home against Maryland. Oh, that's a sneaky game. Sneaky mm-hmm. game. Talia It's gonna, gonna come go down. See, you're you're being sarcastic and people can't <laughs> tell. So be serious when you answer this question, I'm, right? I'm laughing at Iowa. So. It's tough. At in, yes, it is. At Indiana. It's a win. It's yep. Win. Home it's against win. Penn State. Now that's been weird because they they tend to dominate each other on their home fields, like mm-hmm. it's 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 been weird. Home against Michigan State, we'll see. At Rutgers, win. Home against Nebraska, it's a win. Yeah, it's a win. It's a win home though. against Illinois. At Ohio State, at loss. Ohio State, big loss. That's not a like a brutal schedule, especially when you consider they have a better team coming back than USC. USC this year's schedule is such they do. They home against rice. When at Stanford. When mm, home against Fresno. When should be, should be at Oregon state. When mm, you're giving them a lot more benefit of the doubt than you're giving Michigan, than you're giving Michigan. I'm, Cause I'm trying to win the argument here. Okay. No, be honest. <laughs> no, you're not kidding. You're kind of being serious. Oregon Hope State's be- Oregon State's a decent little team. Yes. Like, they're not bad. So that's, and that's they've also, game. I mean, didn't they blast USC last year? They may have. I like what Jonathan Smith yeah. is doing out yeah. there, man. He's doing a pretty good job in Corvallis. He is. Yeah. 
Let me look. They, yeah, they beat USC at USC last year, forty-five to twenty-seven. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're not they're not slouches. And and I they I thought no, that was somebody else. Was Their quarterback's Oregon, not bad. I don't know if you flushed him. Chance Nolan, he's a decent little player. Uh-huh. Uh, watched him. Like, didn't they? Did they open with Purdue last year? Or was that the year before? Mm, yeah, it was Purdue. Yeah, yeah, oh, that was last, last year. year. Yeah, it was last mm-hmm. year. They opened with Purdue. And I don't know if was he starting court. No, Sam. I think Sam Neuer was the quarterback in the the that start that I watched. But I mainly watched their run game, and their run game is really good. It is really good. So then home against Arizona State win, mm-hmm. home against Washington State win, and mm-hmm. they're at Utah. Loss. By week, at I'll Arizona. Yeah, they'll definitely won't lose that week. <laughs> they'll they'll have Arizona. a couple perfect practices, best practices in the history of college football. <laughs> During that off week at Arizona should be a win. Should be a win. Home against Cal. Home against Colorado. Should be a win. At UCLA. That game could always go either way, but I would think at the end of the season, USC should be significantly better than UCLA, but we'll see. See, I kind of think they're not going to be as good late in here because their depth is pretty terrible at everywhere Mm -hmm. except like receiver. Uh and then you go and USC, UCLA destroyed UCLA destroyed USC last year. Plus, it's a matchup. They're a physical football team. USC, I don't know how they're going to handle it. And then their last game is home against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I de- I'm going to go Michigan. We'll have to put a little friendly friendly wager on that one off the air, Ryan. As far as we go regular season, so we won't count like conference title games. Go regular season. That'd be a nice one. Mm-hmm. I'm Sounds going good. Michigan. He's going USC. I hope they both go four and eight. Because the I second, can't pick Michigan right, at all. Second, the second question, A&M and Texas, who has the better record this year? This is, a, this is I think, it might be a little bit of a tougher one. I haven't seen Texas's schedule. I know okay. A&M's got an easy schedule, though, don't they? They have a pretty easy one. I mean, they're, I in, the, they're in the West, so, I mean, it can, it yeah. can only be so tough. But, like, we went through right. it earlier. They play Miami at home. Play App State at home, then they're uh, versus Arkansas and 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 Arlington, then they're at Mississippi State, at Alabama, bye week at South Carolina, home against mm-hmm. Ole Miss, home against Florida, at Auburn, home against UMass, home against LSU. So their second half is much easier than their first half. That should and be part that of that. Is, nine wins. You know, how good is like Florida? Nine-ish. How good is Ole Miss? Right? Like, right? You know, to me, so I, I think we're probably on the same page as Texas A&M. I think the bigger question mark is how good is Texas going to be? They're the harder team to really predict. Uh, mm-hmm. Their schedule is is interesting. They play a U, Louisiana Monroe to open, win. Okay. Then they're home against Alabama. It's a loss. Home yes. against Texas San Antonio at Texas win. Tech. Home Should against West Virginia. Oklahoma on a neutral field. Should be a win. I mean, they've mm-hmm. outplayed Oklahoma for the most part. They should have killed Oklahoma last year. They just they couldn't finish the game. Yeah. Iowa State at home should be a win. Mm-hmm. At th- these next two games are going to define their season, in my opinion. So let's just say, let's just say somehow they are seven and one or six and one coming out of that stretch. So I, so let's say they lose to Bama, beat Oklahoma in a competitive game. They should beat Texas mm-hmm. Tech on the road, and then they win at home against Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas, San Antonio, and Louisiana Monroe. Okay. These next two games to me are going to determine how their season's going to go. They play at Oklahoma State. But in Texas and Oklahoma State is in Texas played some really good games in recent years, like really good yeah. back and forth games in recent I, years. I, I think Oklahoma State's a team that I think is going to regress a little bit. Yes, I think they're going to regress a little enough bit enough to lose to 
Texas at home, that'll be the question. But Texas right. gave them a game last year, and then Oklahoma State pulled it out. They they play sure. some competitive games year after year. Mm-hmm. By week, and then at Kansas State. Kansas if, State is going to be a tough team yes. this year. I'm telling yep. you that right now. They're going to be yep. a tough team. Because yeah. after that, it's TCU at home, at Kansas, and home against Baylor. And Baylor's a definitely a team that I see regressing this year because they lost yes. a lot, and he's going into year three. He hasn't been able to recruit like he wants to. His first year's head coach, he couldn't go on the road and recruit because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to give Dave Aranda a little bit of a pass this year if they take a step back. Because I think what he did yeah. last year was brilliant. He should have been coach of the year last year. I like, don't disagree. Easily should have been coach job. of the year last year. And and so, uh, you, big Dave Aranda guy here. I, I just don't, I look at the roster, and I don't think they have the players to just consistently win. So, if Texas is good – that should be a win at home. If it was at Baylor, yeah. I'd say competitive game, but it should be a win at home. So if they're able to go one and one against Alabama and Oklahoma, then it comes down to can they win one of the Oklahoma, Kansas State, or if they lose to Bama and Oklahoma, can they go back and win two back-to-back home games? They're going to mm-hmm. have to do that to have a better record than AM. And I, I they're awesome. my big, they're my sleeper for the Big 12. I actually, and, and I'll give you a little preview. We're going to do predictions for the conferences. I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. Uh, I'm predicting Texas to win the Big 12 this year. I am. I don't like it. I hope they go 4-8. and eight. I think what they did that conference, and it disgusts me. I, I have zero respect for the University of Texas as an institution in so many different ways because they've started all this crap twice. They, try, they tried to start it in 2011 by trying to go to the Pac-12, and they started this crap again by going to the SEC. Zero respect for Texas, and I hope they – I hope every Big 12 team they play this year beats them by 40. <laughs> That's an administration thing, right? Yeah. That's about the presidents and the AD. That doesn't have anything to do with Sark and the players. From sure. that standpoint, as an honest analysis and observer, I think that they were a lot like Nebraska last year. They mm-hmm. were easily a 9-3 and three team if they knew how to finish. Now the question is, can Sark teach that this offseason? Right. And how does the Bama game go? If they can, ha- if 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 that game's as similar to what Notre Dame Georgia was in 2019 and 2017, then I think that gives that team confidence. Hey, you know what? We're not bad. We we hung with them, kind of like Texas did a couple years ago in LSU. Mm-hmm. And if you can hang with that 19 LSU team, with all due respect, you can hang with 22 Alabama. And that's going to be Alabama's going to be really good this year. But that LSU team was otherworldly. And with all due respect to Bryce Young, he's not Joe Burrow. At least you know and. And he mainly because he doesn't have the weapons that Joe Burrow had that year, sure. if, if anything else. If they can just be competitive that game, I think that springboards them into a really good season. If they get blown out, then I could see them just being – their confidence being shook. And so, that's to awesome. me, that's how I, I see it. And then I look at Oklahoma's schedule, and they play at Nebraska, which is a non-conference, but then they have Texas on the neutral side. They play at Iowa State, and for whatever reason, Iowa State gives Oklahoma fits on the road. Sure, uh, it just has. Now, will that be the same thing with a new coach? I don't know. They play at West Virginia, at Texas Tech. So their their schedule to me is a little bit tougher. So my surprise Big 12 title winner this year is going to be Texas. And so and I'm I, actually going with them. I haven't done the math on it, but, man, I'm I'm a little bullish on uh, on Kansas State this year. I don't know yeah. why, but they have a good team coming back. If man. they can they just have... get good quarterback play, because that's what's killed them yeah. the last two years. When Skylar Thompson plays – they can yeah. play with anybody in the Big 12. Then they mm-hmm. have. But then when yeah. he would get hurt, they would just fall off a cliff. They, and they got that defensive end, yeah. that Felix kid that is a monster. They yeah. got a left tackle, Cooper Beebe, who's a really good player. Deuce Vaughn they're is always tough. taller. Yeah. yeah. They're always yeah. tough in the trenches. 
mean, you look at the games they lost, you know, 11-point loss, 6-point loss, 13-point loss, 5-point loss at Texas. I mean, they mm-hmm. were a competitive team last year. They just they've got to they they've got to be able to learn to win without Skylar Thompson. That's the big key. Agreed. They just he didn't play in three games last year. They went one and two in those three games, and the and the one loss, one of the the one win was Nevada. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're just they're just not. They, you remember how good they looked to start the 2020 season? They lost that mm-hmm. really bad game to Arkansas State, which was a terrible loss. But then the next two games, they looked really good. Yeah, and and I thought that they were going to be a pretty good football team. So, uh, you know, that's. It's going to be interesting how they go. I wanted to get I wanted to get to that. I know you got to run, Ryan. I wanted to get to yeah. that question before we go. And then the last one is, do any of them have 10 or more wins this year in your prediction? I would say, look, I just think USC's schedule is bad, right? Like, right. I just think it is. I think USC has a chance to get to 10. Michigan has a shot. A&M, I don't know. They're, they're a confusing team to me, man. Yeah. Like, I, talent-wise, schizophrenic. they should. Right. They should have 10 wins, but – I just am having trouble buying into them. And I'll say yes to Texas because I think Texas is going to, I think they're going to start to hit that, hit that stride a little bit. I mean, they're recruiting at a high pace. I like Sarkeesian as an offensive mind. I think that they will be better on the defensive side of the football than they were last year. Last year, I thought they were really bad. The only, the only hiccup I think for Texas for me, because I think that they're going to have a lot of offensive firepower. They have a lot of young guys playing offensive yeah. line right now. Like yeah. A really inexperienced offensive That's line. their That's kryptonite. That's the only thing that gives yep. me a little worry. That could be honest. their kryptonite. That could be yeah. their kryptonite. And then uh, along those lines, Ladarius Smart says, do you all think Utah will win the Pac-12 and make the playoffs in 2022? They're, yes, they're the no. favorite. They're the yes, favorite. no. Yes to the winning the Pac-12. No, they won't make the playoff, in my opinion. So like, so like last year. <laughs> yeah, I think Utah's going to be a good football team, but I just don't think – they're not good enough to run the table the way that they would need to to, to be in the playoff, in my opinion. That's fair. I, just, I just don't think that they are. But the, I, I do think they're the best team in the Pac-12 this year. Not by a ton. It'll be competitive. But I, I do think they're going to be the class of the Pac-12 this I, year. I love how Utah plays football, man. Yeah, like, I, do. I feel like I say that every time. But I they're, love they, Coach Whittingham. They, I love Coach Scali. It, it's fantastic. And they've yeah. overachieved in years recently when the rest of the conference is underachieving. I mean, mm-hmm. they've had years where they had the fourth or fifth best roster. They finished first or second in that league. 100%. Yeah, and, and that's what I that's I respect him as a coach. I, and he's had chances to leave. I, it's I love coaches like that, like Gary Patterson, guys that have had chances to leave. He says, you "Know what? I like it's it here. I like what we're doing here. I really right. like that." And then one question I just want to quickly address: uh, Justin Carlson asked, "Will there be a Dylan Edwards show tomorrow?" Yes, there will be. I just don't know when. Uh, yes. We will let you know. We will also have a show tonight at six o'clock. Uh, we're going to go live to uh, to cover and discuss the pending decision by Ben Minich, who will announce tonight whether he is going to Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Stanford, Cincinnati, or Kentucky. Uh, and then we will have a show tomorrow uh, to talk about what we see from yesterday's practice, uh, potentially. And then depending on what time Dylan Edwards goes, we may have a second show that then covers his decision. Uh, I just don't know if those will be the same or separate shows. But that's, Ryan why you have to be subscribed to the channel and have that notification bell hit. Cause you will, 100%. we will let you know when we're going to do a show. So thanks everybody for being with us today. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell again, sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Share this podcast. And of course, sign up for the boards, like our channel, give us a five-star review and come back next time. Cause we're going to have a lot more for you. So for Ryan, I'm Brian. Thanks Sean and Vince for being on the show today. Uh, and we'll, we can't wait to see you guys again here, but hour and a half. So have a great rest of your night and, uh, we'll talk to you soon on the Irish breakdown podcast.